Thank you, Allison. That was beautiful. Julia is here. Hey, for those of you with children, like to meet her and get your Bible bags. The rest of us, we're going to turn to the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 4. We're going to start at the 12th verse. I was thinking all day yesterday at the <laughs> missions conference how the lectionary is just in tune with all of this as we're looking at the invitation that Jesus Christ gives to follow him and all that that means. And uh, we oftentimes uh, do not, as we'll see as we study our text today, uh, we oftentimes do not follow him. And we want to think about that today as we think about who it is that we are uh, indebted to for this amazing salvation and for his great guidance and, and light. And so we're going to look at this blending of the light and how Jesus Christ does that. Earlier in our service, during our Old Testament lesson, it focused on the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah, as you remember, lived about 700 years before Jesus Christ. And he explains that there's going to be a great sorrow and a darkness that's going to come over the land of Zebulun and Naphtali in a region that is called the Galilee of the nations. But then he says that in the latter times, in the times when the Messiah comes and this great season of his salvation, these people who walk in darkness will see a great light, that these who live in the land of deep darkness will have a light shone on them. Now, the fulfillment of this prophecy is picked up by Matthew in the text that we're about to read. And so we need to orient ourselves to why this prophecy of the Old Testament was such an important one and lived out in the life of Jesus Christ. It's a very simple message, and yet it's a very profound one that every person back then would immediately understand the depth of. But we need to reorient because we didn't live in that land at that, that time. You can see that Naphtali was the sixth son of, son of Jacob. And Jacob, as you remember, was the son of Isaac, whom God renamed Israel. The land given to the tribe of Naphtali is to the region of the west and the north of the Sea of Galilee, some of the most beautiful land in all of Israel. Zebulun is the tenth son of Jacob, and his tribe's land is to the southwest of Naphtali. The entire region is called the Galilee of the Gentiles or the Galilee of the nations because it has been conquered so frequently throughout Israel's uh, life as a nation that it has become a place of great sorrow for Israel because it's a place where Caesar worship is now taking place in the time of Jesus Christ where there is great wealth because it is the coastland, it's the desired land, the great agricultural land and the, the mountains that shine over it. So the people there have lived in great oppression and great darkness. It's the, the most difficult region of all of Israel and it fell, of course, long before Judah did. But when Jesus was baptized and when he started his public ministry, he moved from Nazareth to Capernaum and Capernaum is the very heart of Galilee of the nations. In other words, the light of the world went into the darkest region of the nations in order to shine his light. That's where he focused his ministry. It was multicultural. It was wealthy. It was, as I said, Caesar-worshipping, Roman-oriented region. 
and Jesus entered in there to shine his light. The truth was already expressed long before Isaiah, about 300 years earlier. David wrote the Psalm 27, which we also read earlier in the service. The, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The darkness of oppression that we all experience in some form or another in this world is going to be visited, he says, by the light of life. This same Lord is the stronghold of our lives. He's the one that was prophesied by, da by David, of course, 1,000 years B.C., 3,000 years ago. He is still the light that shines into the darkness of our world. He's still the one who can show us the path if we will follow him into a preferred and wonderful return to Eden and to this great Edenic paradise. It's the message of the prophet. It's the message of the psalmist. It's the message of the apostle. It's a consistent message throughout all of scripture. And it's a consistent message today. So let's go to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to start with the 12th verse and go through the 23rd. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what is said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets, and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Now keep that open before you as we study these words. Let's pray. Father, there's great comfort in recognizing that you have been at work in people just like us down through centuries and millennia of time and that we're a part of that great story today. This is our generation, our season, our time to bring your light into the world. And we would ask that as each of us have come today and we're open and reflective of who you are, that we would be able to reflect your great light in this world, that we would not be shy about that, nor would we be in some way oppressive, but rather we would be the invitation to great light marvelous light and we just ask right now that you speak to each of us and through each of us in jesus name we pray amen i don't know if you've ever experienced real darkness deep darkness if you have you know how disorienting that experience can be when i was a child 
in the Ozarks of Missouri, there is a place there called the Merrimack Cavern. It's a fascinating place. It claims to be a hideout of Jesse James. But when you get back in there, it's over four <coughs> miles of paths and rivers that go under the mountains, creating amazing rock formations that have been there for millennia. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful place. But what I remember most as a child, and I was probably about 10, I think, when we went through there, was that once we had gone deep down into the cave and there was no possibility of any outside light being able to get in, our guide turned off the lights. Then he said, put your hand about five inches from your face. Now, if you've ever been in ultimate dark, you have no idea where your hand is and how far it is from your face. And people started giggling as they hit themselves in the face and little children started crying. My deepest feeling at that moment was complete aloneness and disorientation. I had a sense that here I was a part of a tour group, but I was no longer a part of them. I'm a part of a very large family and they were no longer around me. I was completely alone <coughs> in this deep and abiding darkness. And I had no way to know even in a moment which direction was to go and what was safe, and so I was frozen. I literally paralyzed and was afraid to even move in the depth of that darkness. In modern life, we, we seldom have the experience of deep darkness. After the invention of electricity, we have the ability to turn almost any space. Some light and some dial or some button or little bulb is burning and we have some sense of orientation as to who we are, where we are, where the things are and we, we have a sense of bearing. But deep darkness, physical darkness, was a common experience in the ancient world. And I would suggest that the type of spiritual darkness where we lose our orientation and our bearings, where we become disoriented, where we become alone and fearful, is something that is as present today as it was then. And the analogy that is used by the psalmist and is used by Isaiah and is picked up by Matthew is in fact the spiritual experience of many of people in our day. That deep spiritual darkness can in fact be something that is so overwhelming that it can cause paralysis in their spiritual walk. When Jesus came to the Sea of Galilee and he invited the fishermen, Andrew and Peter and James and John, to follow him, he was not saying to them, you know, I'm going to grope in the darkness and I invite you to join me in this existential angst. Nor was he in fact saying to them, I am going to go into the darkness with dignity because this human condition needs to be faced with dignity even though none of us know our way and this, this is who we are. We are just human, born to make mistakes and we're just in it together. No, that wasn't the invitation that he gave. He was saying, I am the light of the world. I am shining into the deepest darkness of your life and of the world and I'm here to orient you, to give you a way out, to give you a way of eternal life, a joy that is unmeasured by any experience of this world. I am here to, in fact, bring you to eternal life, for the kingdom of heaven is near. 
So turn from that darkness and turn towards that marvelous light. Follow me. When the guide turned the light back on in the cavern that day, everything immediately flipped. It was amazing how quickly, suddenly, the light came on and space became defined. I was oriented to the beauty. My eyes began to soak it in. And where we were paralyzed to move for fear of running into something dangerous, we now moved with confidence for we were following the one who had turned the light on and who knew the way out of that darkness into the light of day. The scholars tell us that these stories of the calling of the disciples are not meant to be unusual as though they are very different types of people than you or me. Andrew, Peter, James, and John were simply living their life. They are included in the gospel because when Jesus came to them, they responded to him and they left. You and I, we're busy, we're trying to make a living, but intuitively every human being, if you will sit down and talk with them, they know that the darkness is closing in on them. However successful we might be in our various forms of fishing, we know that that can't be the purpose of life. We all feel the darkness of loneliness coming upon us. However we might be intimate with someone around us, it is tenuous in so many ways. The darkness of pain and loss, disease, they're always around us. And there's an increasing pace in our world that makes us feel as though we're rushing to this relentless darkness of death. And however we might try to stave it off and whatever kinds of little creams we might put on to stop aging, we know that it is upon us and it's the human experience. It's in those moments that Jesus comes and he comes on an average day when we're cleaning our nets. And he simply says, follow me. I know a way out. I can turn the light on. Matthew makes it sound, of course, and if you just had the Gospel of Matthew, as though these fishermen had never met Jesus before. He just comes by and suddenly they go, oh, okay, we'll follow you. Last week, of course, we saw that, that, uh, Pete, that Andrew and Peter knew John the Baptist and were disciples of his. And so he had already been told that, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And they had already gone to see who he was and what he was doing. And so the invitation is not meant to be an uninformed decision that you make immediately, quickly, without thought, without light, and leave father and boat behind. It's a decision that's meant, though, to be made without hesitation and recognizing that this is the one who has the light and has the life. And I'm going to not grab hold of something that is so temporary and lose something that is so eternal. I'm going to immediately and completely follow. I'm going to go into his kingdom for it has come. It's near, it's here. And he invites you and me to be a part of that. It's always fascinating to me how people misunderstand the good news of Jesus Christ. I can't tell you how many times this deep darkness has so deceived a person that they think that the light of God is somehow going to take away the joy of their life or the, the happiness of their, of their day. Nothing could be further from the truth. 
Jesus did not come to take away joy, but to give joy and life that is true, that is lasting. The happiness of this world is based on happenstance, and it may or may not be a happy day. But the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's a, a, a bearing and, a, and an understanding and a, a seeing that gets you through the deepest of darkness. For though you know it is dark, you know there's a light far greater than the darkness. And the darkness cannot overcome it. It cannot consume the light. Jesus did not come to take away joy, but to give joy and life. He came to remove our paralyzing fill, fear and our disorienting deception and to give us the way out. So I would encourage you to stop and to think this morning and to respond to his invitation. He's come to you and he said, follow me. And we want to respond to that in two ways. We want to respond, first of all, as an individual, as a person responding to Jesus ourselves. And then we want to think, how do I help others to find that light? Now, for ourselves, of course, some of us have seen that flicker of light and truth, and we've come to Jesus, but we've not followed him. I know people who have not followed the path towards a whole and holy light, and they're the same creature they were 20 years ago. They haven't practiced the disciplines of prayer, of si silence, of solitude, the study of the word. They haven't taken the next step on their journey. And yes, they, they live by the light they had long ago and they know that Jesus is the light, but they do not follow him and they do not walk in his way. If that defines where you are, I encourage you to take a step and start moving towards being the person that God has called us all to be and you to be uniquely. I know that most of the people that I experience are on that journey, and they're very different than they were 20 years ago. They face the experiences of life. They've grown. They've deepened. They understand truths that they did not understand in the way they do today. They've grown in their patience and kindness and goodness. They've changed in the ways that they interact at home and at work and in the world. That's the call that Jesus Christ gives, to, to not just have the light turned on. If, I, if we that day in the Merrimack Caverns had had the light turned on and suddenly we're oriented, we can see who we are and where we are, but we had not followed the guide out of that place and into the light of day, we would be a, a person to be pitied, not a person who has experienced the joy that God intends for our lives to be. So first, follow him. I encourage you, whatever that means for your next step, however long you've followed him, you have a next step and a next place and a next challenge and a next growth and a next joy to experience. Second, let's respond to the light that has come for the sake of others. There are those whom we love dearly who are in the dark and need the light of God and need to be attracted to that light and need to have the experience of having his presence. And let me say the obvious that if we have somebody who's in the dark and because they're in the dark, we shame them and attack them and, and ridicule them and exclude them from our lives, then we have missed the point of the light of Christ. 
It's not to know the way for ourselves and put others down because they don't know the way. It's to bring God's light into their life in attractive and loving and caring ways so that they have a way to respond to God and a way to be deepened in, in their life, not living in the darkness that has overwhelmed them. So as we pray, Jesus Christ has invited us to follow him. The question that we each want to discuss today in our own private prayer time with God is, am I following you? And what's the next step? And is there someone to whom I could bring your light? Let's spend time with him.